Great to see you, church. Thank you so much for being here Wednesday night. So good to have you. My name is Corey Bendix. I'm the pastor of Outreach and Evangelism here, and we are diving in to the book of Colossians. I've hoped that you, I hope that you've gotten a chance to read a little bit uh, through this first chapter. Um, this is the focus here is a timeless truth for the times that we're in. Uh, I, the, the, the hope for this next maybe three months or so till the end of November is that we can be rooted in this book and in being rooted in this book, we're rooted in the gospel and the hope of who Jesus Christ is during very shakable times. Uh, just a little bit about the book of Colossians. It's really a, a defining book for a defining church. Uh, the church of Colossae was a part of a tri-city area, uh, Laodicea, Heropolis, and Colossae. And this tri-city, uh, this book was written specifically for Colossae. It's in uh, right, right, right around 60 AD, during very hectic times in the culture of Colossae. And Paul is writing. Um, what you're going to find as you read through this book is that it's very similar to, for example, the book of Ephesians. Colossae is about 100 miles away from Ephesus. And, and so it's, if you're not careful, you read it and you'll read it and go, well, there's nothing new here. But um, I, I really want to encourage you not to look for something new because Paul doesn't add any new theology in the book of Colossians. What he does is he talks about the bigness of our God. That, that we're going to find that God is colossal. We have a colossal God. We have a colossal inheritance. We have a colossal forgiveness. Uh, we also have colossal sin. And today we're going to look at a colossal gospel. But this city and its church was really, it was a, um, it was a very important city in that it was a marketing hub. Dye, purple dye was sold there. Um, and so it was, they had a lot of things imported and exported, but one of the major things that was imported was philosophies, thoughts, worldviews, that this is a location where many people would come from all over and just would camp out, set up shop, and begin to peddle uh, ways by which one should live. And what we're going to find is that uh, the philosophies of that day in the city of Colossae were beginning to create a fog for the church of Colossians. Reminds me of July uh, 16th, 1998. Um, John F. Kennedy Jr. climbed into a plane that he had only uh, flew 300 total hours. He was not uh, sanctioned to, to fly this plane by himself, but he told his trainer that he was going to be good to go. The problem was that when John F. Kennedy Jr. climbed into this plane, he didn't know how to, to um, steer and, and, and drive this plane by the instruments. So he, he was in this plane with his wife and his wife's sister, and they began uh, to fly. And they were uh, flying for the better part of about an hour and a half, and and. JFK Jr., he began to lose sight of the horizon. Combined with that, a storm began to settle in. And this man who lost sight of the horizon, didn't know how to control this plane by the instruments, all he had to do, all he had was, was to 
adjust the plane based on his feelings, on what he felt. And so here this man is with his wife and his wife's sister, and he thinks he's going up, but in all reality, he was going down, and he crashed into the Atlantic. Sad story. And yet, when I read the book of Colossians and the context therein, I really get the feeling like Paul is concerned that this type of storm and this type of condition that we see in JFK Jr. was settling into the church at Colossae. And what you have with Paul is Paul is trying to set the perspective and the view of this church on the horizon of Jesus and on the instruments of life in Christ practically. And so what you have in the book of Colossians is really beautifully done. Even in this construct of the, of the book itself is the gospel. This is what I mean. Is that in the first two chapters, uh, for those of you who love English, um, for those of you who don't, just smile and nod. For those of you who do, you're going to love this. You have nothing but indicatives. What God in Christ has done for us. It's all indicatives. What you're going to see is that there's not one thing that Paul tells you and I to do in the first two chapters. It's all built on, established on, rooted on in Christ Jesus. The first two chapters is nonstop indicatives. Christ-centered indicatives. What God in Christ has done for you. The last two chapters is what, how then shall we live? It's now in chapters three and four, it's all very practical, but the only way that Paul tells us to do things is because of what he sets up in the first two chapters in what God and Christ has done for us. This is the flow. This is the rhythm. This is the power of the book of Colossians. And I, I really hope, I really hope that as we study this, that you begin to see yourself in the very same light and, and line as the as the church in Colossae, because as you can tell, we are in the middle of a season where there's a lot of philosophies, perspectives, worldviews that tries to do in us, the church, as the city of Colossae did for the church in Col- when it comes to Colossae in the book of Colossians, where it's trying to add to the gospel, Jesus plus. If you have Jesus, great, but you've got to add some things as well. And what we're going to find is one pastor said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything minus minus Jesus equals nothing. This is the beautiful equation of the gospel. And so uh, what, what I'd love to do is just let's read the first eight verses. Colossians chapter one, verses one through eight. And this is what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, By the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, 
just as it, it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. When I was uh, first married to Heather, one of the movies that she loved, that I endured, not enjoyed, was called The Notebook. And if you're a male who's been married, you have endured this as well. So we, we sh- our pain is shared. Uh, but here's what was fascinating about this movie was that it was about a woman who had lost her memory of who she was. She forgot who she was. And, and then simultaneously, it is the story of, a, of her husband who does all that he knows to do to help her remember. That there's something about spiritual amnesia that is so heartbreaking, and yet we see it's almost as if Paul is trying to help this church remember who they are. Remember what they're designed for. Remember whose they are for. It's as if they are fallen into this level of spiritual amnesia that I, I, I believe it's so easy for all of us to flirt with. What, what, what I love about what Paul does, even in these eight verses, is that Paul does something so simple and yet so profound. He, he unpacks a, a, a colossal gospel, a colossal gospel. And, and that's, that's what he, he opens up with. Eight verses that unpack a colossal gospel. And the way that he does it is he, he extends a colossal gift, verses two, two and three, a colossal, so a colossal gift, uh, a colossal hope, verses four and five, and colossal growth, verses six and seven. And what Paul does is he begins, and, and you know, when you read these first two or three verses, it's easy to kind of use these as throwaway verses. It doesn't say much. But in verse uh, two into three, he says this. He says, grace and peace from God our Father. Right there, Paul opens it up and the floodgates begin to, to, to pour out. When it comes to what Paul is now going to unpack for the remainder of the book, it is the gospel that is rooted in, it's rooted in, in gospel grace and its, its fruit is gospel peace. The root of the gospel is grace. The fruit of the gospel is peace. And Paul, he, he now steps in and he opens it up and he says that this grace and this peace is a gift from us by the Father, through the Son, to you and I. That we were made for grace and peace. And yet, when you think about the root of the gospel, grace, and, and, and just, I'm going to touch on this, I'm going, to, I'm going to scratch the surface, because the rest of these next two months is really going to be unpacking what does it look like to live in grace, and what does it mean for us to be impacted and be, be gospel proclaimers of peace in a, in a society that needs it so bad. But what, 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 what I, I am fascinated about, about this idea of grace, is that for all religions, every one of them is bottom up. This is what I mean. That no, no matter the religion that you uh, present before me, 
It is all about what you do with your performance to get to whatever God that you have identified. It's about, it's about your effort, your hard work, constantly trudging on this, this pathway of performance to get to whatever you feel like you've earned, which is your God. It's, it's bottom up. And, and you're never really sure if you get there. There's so much insecurity with, with, with the religions of the world. And what sets Christianity apart is grace. It's not that we are a top or a bottom up religion. We're top down. That, that God in Christ Jesus didn't wait for us to get to him. That what we find in the gospel is that God sent his son in the condition that we were in not waiting for us to take any steps, stuck in our sin, dead in our sin, unable to access the God of all creation that we were made for. And yet this top-down beauty of, that's called Christianity, it, now, it, it tells the story of this endless grace where, where God now sends his son to become like you and I. Weak, yet strong. Needy, yet powerful. That this is, this is the power of, of this gospel. It's, and when I say gospel, for many of us, we have, this, have the, an, a misunderstanding of what that word even means. That many of us think that it's about a set of, of cognitive truths that you have to believe in in order to attain some type of end result, namely eternal life. And is that true? Yes. But what I love about the gospel, it, it is not the, it's not the springboard into Christianity, into the pool of Christianity, that what the gospel is, it is the ocean that you swim in every day. Like the gospel isn't the ABCs of salvation, it is the A to Zs of salvation. That this is, what I love about what Paul's doing is Paul is talking about, about this reality of living into the gospel to Christians which means that the gospel isn't just for unbelievers, it's for believers. That, that it is the medicine that you and I take every single day to wash over us, to keep us from spiritual amnesia. And, and what, what I love about what, what, what Paul is doing is in unpacking this idea of grace. It's, and when we say grace, this is what I mean. It's, and it's, it's the timeless acrostic of God's riches at Christ's expense. But here's another definition that I think would, is going to be really helpful as we begin to unpack this idea of grace. What, what I, I find grace to be is simply this. Uncon unconditional acceptance granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Let me say that again. Unconditional acceptance granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. This is the story of grace. And yet, I think for so many of us, what's amazing is that we exchange this cross of grace for a ladder. This is what I mean. That for many of us, when we think of grace, we love that idea of grace when we mess up. But, but when, when I say grace, I'm talking about living a life that's rooted in what God and Christ has done for you. Because for many of us, like myself, I am an achiever. 
And you know where our culture has gone when that is a part of a personality test that you take. Oh, congratulations, you're an achiever. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. That's, that makes me really attractive when it comes to the things that I get done. But I, am a, I, 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 can be, I can be so locked in and imprisoned to my desire to perform. And that is so sinful. Is it good? Yes. When it comes to the things that I accomplish, is it very negative? Absolutely. But you know what? We live in Washington, D.C., which means we live in a city of, achie of achievers. People who depend upon their self to get things done. And everything about the Christian life is rooted in grace. It's rooted in what God has done for you that has nothing to do with you. And yet, that is how we get into the kingdom, but for so many of us, we exchange the cross for a ladder. We think that it's about now climbing the ladder of spiritual growth, that now it's on me, that God's grace got me in, but now it's on me to get things done. Or for many of us, we, we celebrate the Lord's table that is a reminder of grace, and yet many of us trade a table for a desk. A table for a desk. of meant it's about that my relationship with God is about getting things done. It's about performance. And when we are doing great, we love God because you know what? At the end of the day, we're really excited about the things that we've accomplished. But when we are going through a season where we can't, we feel like we're failing at every level, guess what? Our understanding of God is just, it's like, it's like the, the sun disappears and we are stuck in the fog. We don't know where to go. And you know what? I'm here to remind you. That, that what we need more than anything right now is to be rooted in the gospel of grace. It is, it's, it's the root, but then the fruit is peace. It's peace. And it's just not just tranquility. It's not an absence of conflict. It is a hope of strength and power when the conflict is in front of us. I love how Isaiah 32 says this about peace. 32:17 The fruit of righteousness will be peace the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever I I I think I've used this before but I love the idea of a life straw and a life straw if you don't know what this is it's it's just simply a device that you can use and take out uh, and have access to water fresh water no matter where you are and you take this life straw and you can dip it into the most disgusting vile forms of water, and as you drink it in, it has a filter that removes all of the poisons and it allows you to drink fresh water no matter where you are. This is peace. This is what God has given. This is the fruit of our life. Not just our life, but what Jesus has died to give us. The root is grace, the fruit is peace, and what our city needs more than ever right now is people rooted in the grace of God so that the peace of God might be extended. He starts with this, this colossal gift. And then he moves into, into colossal hope. Uh, when I was uh, in Boy Scouts as a kid, one of the things I loved uh, was a repelling merit badge. I, something about repelling was just a blast. It was, it was like organized chaos where you, you take a rope that you're tethered to, but then it, it is, it's held on by someone else, power greater than your own. And, and now your job was to 
to now fully rest and rely on the one who was holding you. And then their job was to deliver, deliver you to a destination. And this root in the Old Testament with kavah, it's the word for hope, and into the New Testament is this idea of God hold hope is God holding on to us so he can deliver us certain places. And what I love about what Paul's saying is that the gospel has a type of colossal hope that delivers you and I to two separate places that he say, that he states here in verses four and five. Let me read it to you real, real quick. This is what it says, verses four. Um, we thank God. Yeah, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Do you, I don't know if you saw that, but, but gospel colossal hope delivers you and I to an ongoing active trust, faith in Jesus as well as a love for people. Now, I, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see it. There's a Geico commercial where this aunt comes into this family's home as husband and wife, poor people. I mean, they get this, this aunt who comes in. And the aunt, I don't know if you've seen it, but she just go, starts going through the cupboard saying, expired, expired, expired. And like the, the whole commercial is this aunt who is doing nothing but pointing out all of the aspects of their life that are lacking. And, and what, what this church in Colossae have is they have a culture of thought that has been going through the gospel and saying, that's expired, that's expired, that's expired. God's forgiveness, expired. Hope, expired. And, and so as a result, they have to add things to the gospel. Do you realize we live in a day and age, a cancel culture, if you will, an expired culture where, where the gospel is being found lacking. It's found lacking. That it's Jesus plus. It's, it's, it's Jesus plus, you fill in the blank, political candidate. As long as I do certain things, I have to speak up. It's Jesus plus. And what it does is it, it begins to eat away at the confidence that we have in who Jesus is and what he wants to do in and through his people. And he wants to deliver us into a place of trust. And when I, when I say trust or faith, this is what I mean. It's, sim it's sim simply this. It's putting the full weight of who you are on something else that's stronger than you, namely the person and work of Jesus. And so when we talk about the, a colossal hope do you realize that Jesus has died so that you can put the full weight of all that you are on who he is? That this seat is, is merely designed to hold the full weight of all that I am. And I do not go one half cheek on and half, I mean, like I don't go halvesies with this seat. I go all the way on. All the way on because I know it can hold me. And for when it comes to our culture, we live in a time, in a defining moment, where, where we, it is going to be very easy for us to go half on and half off when it comes to the gospel. 
to rely and rest on him to a certain degree and rest on certain things that we bring to the table. But I am so challenged in my own heart when I read the fact that we have been designed, we've been created to trust fully in who Jesus is and will be in and through us. Church, this is our invitation. A colossal hope. I know this, these are challenging times. So uncertain, so confusing. But we have an opportunity to allow the, the root and fruit of the gospel, gospel grace, this gift, permeate and be reminded of within our hearts so that we can be delivered to a, an ongoing trust in Jesus and love for people. And it's not just love for people that, that we agree with or that we share the same thought with when it comes to, to certain, certain important aspects of life. It's loving the unlovable, loving people who are unlovable to you, whatever that is. This is what the gospel does. It produces a love for people that is miraculous and causes your head to spin and makes you a little uncomfortable causes you to fidget just a little. That is the love of, of Christ because that's how Christ loved you. When you were unlovable, when you brought nothing to the table, that's his love for me and it's love for you. It's a colossal gift, a colossal hope. And then it's colossal growth. Colossal growth. Let me, let me read it and then we'll conclude. This is what it says in verse 6. It says, Faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood it. What I love about this idea of growth is that um, it, it holds to it two aspects, what God does and what we do. Um, in California, there's a part, there's a desert in California that is the hottest location in the United States. It's a story I've shared in the past. And it's, it, it gets up to about 119 to 125 degrees pretty normally. And there's it's Death Valley, which means that nothing grows there. There's, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of, of dead seeds that are all over. And um, just about a year and a half ago, there was what was called a super bloom. And this is a moment where uh, the environment shifts that now, as a result of autumn rain and El Nino, the combination of those things, bring with it a type of rain that takes all of the dead seeds and instantly they become life. And the location that was the greatest place of death now becomes the greatest place of life. This is what the gospel does. This is what it does in us, but this is what it does through us. It grows. It grows. It's growing to your neighborhood. It's growing in our city. It's going all over the world. That this gospel is unstoppable. And the question that I asked myself this week, is it unstoppable in my own life? Is it growing in me? And this is what God promises to do. He promises to take his gospel, the power of his gospel, the clarity of his gospel. And he uses it through, through shaken, 
weak people like me. And he produces super blooms. From death comes life. In the dead places, he promises to produce life that cannot be stopped. That this is what we have an opportunity to do, even in the proclamation of the gospel in our city, is we take what we have, enjoying Jesus in front of people who don't know him that yet, and express this, this love that we have for our creator. And what God does is he takes these gospel seeds and he produces life. But it's not just about what God does, it's about what what, what I do with the gospel. See, this is, again, this is, this, is not just, this is not just something for the unbelieving heart that causes it to go from death to life, but this is the fuel that drives me every day. My, my brother, when he was a, he was a kid, he, he, was, he had a retainer. And this is back in the days where you would have to put the retainer in and out that you had to make the decision, are you going to wear, take small steady steps of wearing something that is going to bring clarity and definition to your teeth and hone things in, bring things to alignment? Are you going to do that every single day? And, and he did. Over the course of time came a, a mouth that was crooked and now is straightened because of consistent decisions of taking that which aligned his teeth and he chose to apply it to his life. You and I have the opportunity to take the gospel, the good news of, of a, of, that is rooted in grace and the fruit is peace. And, and I have the opportunity to allow that to wash over my life every single day. Church, this is what we're called to do. Taking the gospel ap- applied into my life when it comes to God's forgiveness, God's inheritance, God's love for me, my own depravity in regards to my own sin, and, and stepping into the tidal wave of this gospel and allowing it to freshly fill me, align me, and motivate me. Church, this is what Paul was saying to the, to the church at Colossae, is that you have a colossal gospel. It is enormous. It is big and it's, it is filled with a big God who now gives big gifts through his grace and his peace. That, that now we have a, a colossal hope that is, that is leading us and delivering us to a place of, of trusting Christ and loving people. And then the reality of this gospel is that it is enormous, but it requires our commitment to it our hope to it, our, our love for it, allowing it to be freshly applied because if it doesn't, it will become just another uh, aspect of, yes, it is how I get into the gospel, but I want more, Corey. That I want to, to go to, to, to new depths. I want to learn new things. No, no, no. If we begin to say that and try to get beyond the gospel, we are falling into the place that the church at Colossae was. Jesus plus. It doesn't mean that we don't grow. It doesn't mean that we don't have desires for spiritual gifts and all these just very important aspects of the Christian life. And it doesn't mean that we get saved every day. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we take the hope of the gospel and we root ourselves in it. That it is not a step of the Christian life. It is the hub, the hub that everything about the Christian life revolves around. 
It's not a step. It is the hub. And this is what we're called to. And as a result of this type of life comes, this is my final statements, comes a fellowship of the unashamed. I saw this this past week and I thought this is exactly what Paul was trying to get his people to see that life rooted in the gospel produces a life on mission. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living. Small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving, dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, position, promotion, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, recognized, um, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk with patience, am uplifted by prayer, labor with power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, divided, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, paid up for the cause of Christ. I must go till he comes. Give till I drop. Preach all I know. Work till he stops me. And when he returns for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. This is what we're called for, church. This is our destination. And this is not possible without a colossal gospel at work in us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I'm humbled, speechless at your word that is so clear. Lord Jesus, I'm asking that your church would have a moment of falling on their knees, our, our knees, my knees, and asking Jesus that you would forgive me for my low living, for my small dreams, for the way that I've added to the gospel in my own way. Jesus plus. Lord, I don't want to do this ever again, and I want to be committed by your grace and empowered by your spirit to wash in the waves of your gospel every day. That it would define me, it would define us as a people that in a, in a time and in a city where there is no peace and it's Jesus plus everything. It's Jesus plus money. It's Jesus plus politics. It's Jesus plus promotions. It's Jesus plus. And yet God, this is our moment to declare what it means to live into this equation of Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you're here and you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't 
that everything that I've been saying, even this whole idea that, that you have fallen under almost like foreign ideology, that it's, yes, it's Jesus, yeah, but it's, it's a lot of different things as well. And, and, and you feel the work of the Spirit of God convicting you to, of, of sin, and that it's time for you to, to repent and believe the singular gospel of Jesus plus nothing. I want to invite you to an opportunity of surrender. When we surrender, when we say, Jesus, I give up, I want you to take control, I surrender my life, all of me for all of you. When we do that, Jesus Christ, he brings us out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light and life. We now have, have fellowship with him and with the believers, that now we have life and life abundantly. And I want to give you an opportunity to do just that. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner and I want to be washed in the cleansing waters of what you've done on the cross. I surrender my life to you and I live for you from this day forward. If you've done that, if that is a decision you've made, I want you to simply text the word new life to 25827. We want to get connected to you. We want to walk with you. We want to help you in this journey of following Jesus. If you have any prayers, anything that we can do to just to support and stand with you, if you can just press the, the prayer button on the top right-hand side, just um, request prayer. We have people that are on this service right now that are, are here to support you and stand with you in prayer. Church, let's continue to dig into the book of Colossians. What an amazing book this is, this is and will be for us. Next week is verses uh, 9 through 15, I believe. So come with an expectation that God is going to speak. Thank you for being here. We'll see you on Sunday.